This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to This Week in Rays Baseball, Winter Meetings Edition. The 2-2. Swing and a miss. Struck out. Stanton goes down. That's eight. Strikeouts for Shane McClanahan. Coming up, we bring you the latest from the hot stove and discuss today's news and notes from the winter meetings. And the 0-1 is driven deep to right field. Back towards the corner goes Bowen at the wall. Gone! A two-run homer for Randy Rosarena, and the Rays have a 4-0 lead right out of the chute. Here are the voices of the Rays, Dave Wills, Andy Free, and Neil Solons. Thanks so much for being with us on our winter meeting show. We join you from San Diego where the winter meetings have wrapped up. Now the Rays did end up making a trade, probably not a big surprise. They had four lefties on the roster. They moved Brooks Raley to the Mets in exchange for a left-handed pitcher who's not on the 40-man in Keyshawn Askew. This creates room for Zach Eflin, who the Rays are to announce probably Monday or Tuesday has officially signed with them. Uh, So that makes sense from that regard and certainly been a busy winter meetings. Uh, Obviously, Aaron Judge reported agreeing to terms, Trey Turner, Justin Verlander, among the few of many big contracts so far. Now, uh, from a race perspective on the show today, we're going to chat with race manager Kevin Cash. Uh, we're going to chat with Dave and Andy at the end of the show, and also we'll hear from Fred McGriff, the Tampa native who was voted by the Contemporary Committee into the Hall of Fame. But we are going to start our program with the race president of baseball operations and Eric Neander. Eric, thanks very much for joining us, and I'm sure that it has to feel good just to be getting back to the norm our first winter meetings here in a total of three years. Yeah, it's a game built on people and the chance to be around a lot of people that make a living around a game. Uh, there's a lot about that that's been enjoy- enjoyable and missed. Um, perhaps the lack of sleep, less so. <laughs> but the uh, it's it, it's been good. It's been uh, it's been fun to be around some staff that are remote. We don't get to see in a while, and certainly people throughout the game as well. So. Uh, that's been fun. That's been enjoyable. Um, nice to catch up with some people you don't get a chance to see very often. Uh, and then, you know, when it comes to work and, and the roster building considerations, it, it does serve as a nice catalyst for discussion and doesn't necessarily mean things get done here, but um, it does serve that benefit as well. Does it kind of quicken the pace? I mean, we have seen a lot go on during the last several days. And has there been anything on a macro level that's kind of surprised you in terms of the size of the deals and how many big name players have gotten the kinds of deals they've gotten yeah I think um uh yeah like I said there's it does serve as a catalyst I think everybody being under one roof and having everyone accessible to to one another at a moment's notice certainly can accelerate the pace of discussions both free agencies and trades um in terms of interpreting any of the decisions that are made by us or other clubs, I don't know. We, you know, it's up to us to decide what makes sense for us, and our focus stays pretty true to that. And, um, you know, any other club has their reasons for doing things, and that's up to them. I was just speaking more to how it affects if if the market price for players 
is, is significantly higher as it tends to be during the first year of a new collective bargaining agreement? How does that impact a team with the resources that the race have? Um, you know, you, you want to be identify players that you think are really good fits for you and put everything you can, you know, into, into those pursuits. I don't think there's anything about that that is unique to this, uh, off season. You just, if the forces around you change a little bit, you just need to make sure you're in a position to adapt and to really define where your limits are when it comes to things you're pursuing. You, um, had mentioned priorities going into the off season, being a left-handed bat, possibly a guy who also is veteran and can help the younger players. How far along are you in terms of, trying to find that right target that's going to fit. Yeah, the the fit's important and it's not something that that can be forced uh in any way. We've we have a good group of position players. Um the our offensive output in 2022 is not what we wanted and there was some imbalance that developed within our group that we would like to to correct, but um, a lot of the nucleus from 2021 plus some guys coming up through our system, like that's all still there. And so it's not to say that all of a sudden we're going to finish second in the league and run scoring just by status quo, but making sure we appreciate what we have. Uh, we are always going to be dependent on young players and giving them opportunity. We just got to strike that right balance. So there's certainly some players out there, free agency and trade, that we think would achieve that goal for us. Uh, but again, we can't force it um, as we as we walk that fine line. And you know that's part of why we stay opportunistic. That's our most identifiable need. But if there's anything we can do to help our team in other ways, um, we got to make sure we stay on that as well. And we have. You have been known as an organization that communicates so well with players, and last year you couldn't because of the lockout. How much more communicative have you been with some of those young players about staying on a path so that they are as ready to go as possible when spring training begins? Yeah, it's it's something that um, we knew y- you appreciate the importance of communication, um, but when you don't have it for several months as we did last year you you learn to appreciate it that much more um and that's that's something that you know making sure that that time is being maximized is is critical to a player's development uh and just less so from me but more so from our coaching staff our medical staff strength staffs etc our performance staffs um them having that access and connectivity to our players is is crucial just to make sure that we're all aligned i, I think Without that communication, our players worked hard last offseason. They didn't take winners off, but um, you, you risk not having the total alignment between parties. They're invested in the player, and uh, that's something that, that we're lucky and fortunate and appreciate having back. Two players I wanted to ask about on that end, A, Brandon Lau, who had a very tough year injury-wise, and so did Wander Franco, who you guys have high hopes for, but he's also really, really young. So how much guidance do you guys provide to him in the offseason? Plenty um, on both. Um you know, Brandon had a really frustrating year by his own admission. <laughs> you know, we all we all saw it, um, and you know, it, it's on us to make sure that that we're working really closely with him, with his agency, to make sure everything's where it needs to be over the course of the the winter, and everything's good there. Um, all systems go. He's in a he's in a great place right now, so we're optimistic about that coming into next year. In the case of Wander, you know, he learned a lot last year playing through some of the. Um, you know, the tissue and, and lower leg muscular injuries that he had uh, combined with a handmate. Um, it was a frustrating year. It was a challenging year. Um, but there's a lot that going through those experiences that at 21 can accelerate your know, maturity, your growth. And, uh, you know, as it wasn't the level of season that he expected, it was still a pretty good season, especially given what he battled through. Um, but think he'll be that much more mature and that much 
better for having gone through it. And, and the silver lining, I think, is how it'll accelerate his development. I think we'll see some of that next year. We touched on the hopes on the offensive side of the ball, and I know you can't talk to specifics, but something has not been official. Physicals have to occur. But can you explain the importance of adding, based on who you had in your rotation and their injury history, the need for potentially adding a bulk slash starting pitcher? Yeah, I think, you know, the, we we talk about there being an identifiable area for improvement that has been focused on their run scoring. But at the end of the day, our our primary goal is just to win by one. And, um, you know, starting pitching uh, is a very much a strength of this club. Um, we've got a pretty special group as it is. And if there's an opportunity out there to bring in someone that can strengthen it that much more, um, you know, again, we got to win by one. And there are other ways to do that that – aren't as obvious or aren't as acute of a need and we need to make sure we're opportunistic and if something comes together with a player we really like we gotta we gotta make sure we're in a position to do something about it and then in terms of as we're getting close to wrapping up the winter meetings how close are you do you think on further moves that will fortify the roster for 23 it's it's we're always active you know there's there's a lot going on at at all times and um you you try to never shut that off so nothing uh at this point that I would say is imminent but a lot of conversations a lot of considerations and uh like any winter or really any month um try to make the most of the time available to really stay in touch and in tune with the player universe and if there's anything out there that can help us, we want to make sure we're well positioned to pursue it. Safe travels back. We appreciate some time on our countdown or this week in uh, race baseball uh, winter meetings edition. All right. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Happy holidays to our fans. That is the president of baseball operations for the Rays, Eric Neander. Coming up on the program, we will have a conversation with Kevin Cash. We remind you to make your next group event a home run when you host it at Tropicana Field. With a variety of premium suites and party areas to choose from, you can entertain clients, employees, friends, or family in luxury and comfort. For more info, go to racebaseball.com groups. Again, coming up, Kevin Cash, you are listening to our winter meeting show of This Week in Rays Baseball. Thanks for being with us on 95.3 WDAE and AM620. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data from Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware. Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. Welcome back to our winter meeting show on 95.3 WDAE and AM 620. We continue from San Diego on this Wednesday night. Joined now by the manager of the Rays, Kevin Cash. Kevin, thanks very much for being with us. Yeah, good to see you as well. Uh, I have, uh, no doubt. 
you know, kind of excited to be back here. It brings baseball into the winter. Um, good for our fans, and it's good to see everybody that we've missed out on maybe the last couple years for a plethora of reasons. How has your offseason been, and how how different is it now that things are at least more normal? Last year you had the lockout. Before that it was a pandemic. Uh, it's been it's been better. I mean, certainly we've missed a couple um, people with Matt Quattaro and, and Paul Hoover leaving, but you're excited about them. So it's kept us busy as far as staff-wise goes. Um, but there is no doubt. It's, it's better having information and being able to talk to players. That makes the offseason go by that much quicker than what we experienced last year. And we'll get into that a little bit, but let's get into the, the – staff changes first for Q I know what a great relationship you have with him and both who give us a, a feel for what it was like when you when you got the news uh, and and you're feeling for both of those guys well I mean pure excitement I, I think they both deserve it um, and it, with Q kind of step by step uh, it, we kind of communicated nightly certainly uh, every other day and followed along with the interview process and I, I know he's going and going to be a part of a really good organization storied organization with the Kansas City Royals and would bet on him to make the most of any situation and I'm happy that he was able to bring Paul Hoover on board who was very special for us and did such a good job with all of our catchers and working with Kyle Snyder and our pitch pitchers but it was probably time for him to get this opportunity as well. Obviously, the yeah the tree continues to grow of guys who worked in this organization under you who are now getting an opportunity to manage, which is super. And now you've got some additions to the coaching staff, some, some changes. Let's touch first on the change. Rodney Lenaris moving from third base coach to bench coach, uh, and your confidence in how he's going to adapt to that new role. A, a lot of confidence. Look, I, I, Rodney was a very good third base coach. I felt like after the first year of getting to know Rodney, he was a bench coach, uh, even even though he was in a different role. His knowledge of the players, his knowledge of the game, his experience and reps in the game, uh, it's going to be exciting to get to talk to him throughout the entire game. You know, coaching third, he goes out when on the offensive side. We're not talking too much, but to have him kind of standing right next and we can kick ideas off, uh, I think it'll be a big benefit. And he'll be in the dugout the whole time, which sometimes for a guy who sees the game and, and wants to communicate stuff to players, especially with so many Spanish-speaking players, having him in the dugout full-time will probably be a big benefit there too. No doubt. And I think what his experiences the last um, three, four years coaching third, that's going to be a perspective that uh, we can appreciate in the dugout now. So he's going to see the positioning, when that guy is you know, looking to make a pick at second base. Little things that you pay attention to a lot more as a third base coach, he's now going to bring that into the dugout. Brady Williams, you talked to a lot over the last several years, and now he's gone from Durham manager to your third base coach. Touch on what Brady will bring. Well, first of all, as happy as a phone call that I've been able to make in quite some time, Brady's been a major, should have been a major league coach for a long time. He's kind of paid his dues. He's been patient. I'm thrilled that he's doing it with us. He's going to add so much to our staff, and as much as anybody on the staff, our young players, they know him, he knows them, and he's seen them play very well. Um, that coaching experience, that advice, that mentorship will be really, really helpful and beneficial to our players. He told me about how you told him 
he was going to the big leagues, putting him on speakerphone with his kids. Uh, what did that mean to you as a, as a dad to be able to kind uh, of, of three kids of your own to be able to do it in that way? Well, hopefully it was special because I know it was special for me to make the call. And I think the, the, the kids part component, I mean, look, those kids have not had their dad around home for the last couple of years. They're going to get to have him at home uh, a lot more. Uh, but just it's been, you know, with Brady, he's everywhere he's gone, he's won. He's had so much success in developing players in Durham, winning in Durham. It was his time, and it was a fun phone call to make. Jorge Moncada is now your bullpen coach, taking over for Stan, who obviously retired. Touch on what he brings to the table. A lot of knowledge, and you look at all of our pitchers here that have come up recently. Uh, Jorge, uh, you'll, we will all get to know him as Monkey with Moncada. Uh, he's, he's been critical to their development, and to be able to have uh, his insight, similar to Brady's in a way, uh, of our pitchers and young pitchers that will continue to come up, uh, we're excited to have him on board. And Tomas Francisco now takes over catching and then, I guess, spring training too? Yeah, he's going to have a big role, coordinating uh, during the season, um, coordinating all of spring training, which is a job in itself, and then handling um, our, our catching corps. You know, Christian Betancourt, Frankie Mejia, Rene Pinto, those are guys that, that he'll get to know Frankie and Christian really well. Uh, he knows Rene very well right now. We're excited to have him. How hard is it going to be for spring training for him, his first spring training, and he's got to deal with – I mean, it's a big challenge now being in Port Charlotte, and it's there's you know you guys have dealt with challenges the last three four years with the pandemic, etc. But this is going to be a little unique too. Yeah, it's kind of unfair when you think about it. It's it's a lot when when everything's normal. This is not going to be normal. Uh, the rest of the staff, myself included, we need to help support him. He, I, I like the fact that he works with the catchers. Spring training is about the pitchers, and if you're a catching coach, you're prioritizing the pitchers as well. So I think that balance with him and Kyle and organizing where our pitchers need to get, uh, and we'll help them with the position player group. All right. You are known as such a terrific communicator with players, and last year was different in that you couldn't because it was a lockout. How much communication have you had with players this offseason, and how much do you think is that going to help, especially with all the young guys uh, who have come through? Well, I'd like to think it'll help quite a bit. Um, you know, we, we missed those conversations with our players from last year. Um, and, and to be able to kind of revisit and give some messages coming into spring training will be nice rather than the phone call of like, all right, we're getting together in a week, which we experienced uh, last year. So we'll stay on tabs. We've already done that. You try to give them, you know, a month of let them go be with their families and breathe a little bit. Uh, but then, you know, the weekly or every twice a month check-ins, I think those are good. And I'm, I'm sure that, you know, the offseason is good for the start for you to kind of recoup and re-energize too. How much are you involved in the recruiting, the efforts to bring in players from the outside to come join? Uh, you know what? I'm involved as, as maybe I'm asked. I trust our guys so much. They have the knowledge. Uh, they're really good at what they do. If I can help in any way, I, I'd love to be a part of it. But it's probably better for me to stay out of it and keep my ideas to myself because all their ideas are a lot better than mine. That's also a different thing. You're not going to have to worry about facing teams 19 times. It's more games out of division. How much will that help, especially I think some of the young players, the, the, the constant mental battle of facing those AL East teams? Well, we're going to find out. Uh, look, we know the AL East is very, very talented right at the top as far as I'm concerned. But there, there are some really good teams in the National League that we're going to see. There's, we're, you know, we're going to learn more about that. So I think this first year will be more of a learning and telling uh, for us. But can't say 19 times against uh, whether it's New York, Boston, Toronto, now Baltimore. Um, I'll take the other way. 
And I chatted earlier with Eric Neander on the program just about your group. How important are a healthy Wander and Brandon to next year? Look, we need it. We need them to get them healthy. They're they're two very talented players. Um, our offenses struggles that were kind of magnified in September and then in our postseason. Um, those are two guys that are sit right in the middle of our lineup. They play highly athletic positions on the field. Uh, we need to keep them healthy. Well, best of luck in doing that. Enjoy the rest of the winter meetings. We appreciate some time on the show today. You got it. Thanks, Neil. That is Rays manager Kevin Cash. So glad we could chat with him. Coming up on the program, you'll hear my conversation with Fred McGriff on getting into the Hall of Fame. Hey, don't miss a pitch during the 2023 season with a Rays season membership. Choose which plan works best for you and receive a 20% discount to concessions and merchandise. Access the exclusive Republic Bank draft room and priority access to tickets. Visit RaysBaseball.com slash season membership. Again, coming up, Rays manager Kevin Cash. You're listening to our winter meeting show on 95.3 WDAE and AM 620. We continue on our winter meeting show. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. From San Diego, California. Thanks so much for being with us. Neil Solon's with you on 95.3 WDAE and AM 620. One of the great stories here in Tampa Bay was Fred McGriff getting into the Hall of Fame as he was voted unanimously by the Contemporary Committee. And I had a chance to congratulate him and sit down with him here in San Diego. It's special. You know, it's a great honor to uh, call yourself a Hall of Famer. You know, it's been some years, but it's a, it's a beautiful thing. Um, Still living a dream. I was I was blessed to uh, just play one day in the big leagues and um, made the Hall of Fame. How many texts and messages did you get afterwards? And what are some that really stand out? Because I'm sure you heard from some people you hadn't heard from in a while, too. Well, now I think we're up to uh, about 800 or so far. I need, I need to check on my phone again. But in, in, in it's tough because you're trying to um, return people texts. You know, so it's, usually I'm... I'm pretty good at it, but now it's going to be uh, probably two or three days before I um, get around to um, everybody text because I um, found out that I made the Hall of Fame um, about 7.30 or so, and then the telecast came on at 8, and then after that um, I had to do um, MLB Network at uh, 8.30, then I had something else at uh, 8.45, and, so, and then I still got to try to pack to come out here and so uh but just getting call phone calls uh ken griffey uh jr and um barry larkin um dennis martinez um just a number of guys that um hadn't heard from um in a few years and uh, the text messages uh just from people people all over because um i'm a member of uh memorial golf course uh in tampa and um the uh, general manager posted it uh, uh, on an uh, email that Fred McGriff made the Hall of Fame. So now we got all these members and everything that were uh, shooting me emails and so forth. So it's been uh, just been unbelievable, uh, just a response and love. In the last month or so, uh, once people found out that uh, 
I was on a ballot. Uh, every time you run across somebody, it's like, oh, I'm praying for you. You're my prayers. You know, so I, I've had a, had a whole lot of people praying for me. And obviously those prayers paid off. Did it mean more to be a unanimous vote and by a veterans committee or a committee like this, which is made of your peers? Yes, yeah, it's special because, um, you know, over the years I tell myself, you know, players know um, who can play and who can't play. And so for your um, peers to recognize that, hey, you're a good player, you know, so it's so special and it, and it means a lot. And also um, at the end of the day, you're like, man, just to, I just want to get in, you know, but unanimous, unanimous is awesome. But just to get enough votes to uh, get in is awesome. You're the third Tampa Bay native and fourth really resident overall, Wade Boggs, Al Lopez, Tony La Russa. To be in that elite company of Tampa Bay Hall of Famers, what, what does that mean to you? Uh, you just mentioned some, you just reeled off some, some uh, good players. You know, Wade, uh, I played with him in, uh, with the Tampa Bay Rays, but Ray, Wade uh, was a great hitter and player, and uh, I've met Al Lopez, and um I've had some, we had some battles with Tony Russa uh, when he was a manager of the uh, St. Louis Cardinals and, uh, and he was out with the Oakland A's, had some battles with Tony and uh, Tony was tough and Tony was famous for um, whatever position player got hit, he would hit your player. So if, his, if you hit his first baseman, Mark McGuire or somebody, they were going to hit me and so forth and so, or whatever position it was. And so that's my um, fondest memory of uh, Tony La Russa. But, uh, you know, he was a great manager and so forth. But uh, so it's just special to be a part of uh, a, group, a great bunch of guys. And also you got uh, Derek Brooks um, living in Tampa and um, uh, Tony Dungy and so forth. And they're Hall of Famers also. So Tampa is a good spot. And I know you still live there, right? I mean, so this is an area where it's it really truly is your home and you have a lot of pride there. Yeah, I mean, you, the coaches, I'm sure, they had an impact on you growing up. Oh, without a doubt, you know, it, but, it, but it's funny. But um, I went to Jefferson High School, but I grew up um, uh, in an area called Lincoln Gardens, right next to Carver City and so forth. And so, you know, so over the years you tell people where you grew up at, and like, yeah, yeah, I know you grew up in Lincoln Gardens. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so uh, uh, Tampa's was just always special. It's home. So you had so many great memories, but what did 98 mean to you to be able to kick off a franchise? Because this coming year is the 25th of their franchise history, and here you are going into the Hall of Fame in that same anniversary year. It was great because, uh, you know, I had experienced um, playing uh, professional baseball in the big leagues, and it's, it's good stuff. So for Tampa to finally um, get a team and to be able to come home and, and play in front of uh, a lot of family and friends and ex-schoolmates, uh, and so forth. It, it was special, even though uh, we struggled and lost uh, a lot of games. Uh, it was a nice experience. But the thing about it, I try to tell people, like, even though our teams weren't very good, when you first step on that field every night, you got a chance to win. When that game first starts, you got a chance to win. Out of, during the course of the game, things happen, and um, you may end up losing a game. But every night, you got a chance, and so it was special. You also got to finish your career there in 04. You may not know this, and you probably don't remember, but I broadcast your last minor league games. You came to Durham for a seven or eight game swing, played a game in Durham, then went to Indianapolis and Louisville. We had to get up at like four the next morning to get on the bus, went to the airport in Raleigh-Durham at a Bojangles, and you sat down and had breakfast and said, boy, 
I guess if they made it really easy, nobody would want to leave and get back to the big leagues, huh? <laughs> uh, that's what kills me now. Now, now they go going to court arguing um, the minor leaguers want more money and they want better uh, conditions and everything. I'm like, come on, your, job, your goal is to get out of the minor leagues and get up to uh, the major leagues, and you, you guys want it, um, you know, you want it so nice in the minor leagues. That was a, a glimpse of, of you know, personal memory, but what are your best memories playing the game in the big leagues? What stands out to you over your tremendous 19-year, now Hall of Fame career? Uh, just going out there and competing um, every day. It, it, it's a battle. Um, it's a challenge every day. You got that opposing pitcher who's trying to uh, get you out. You're trying to get a hit off of him. You're trying to hit a home run against him and so forth. And so it's that battle day in and day out. Because baseball, let's say, uh, it's a team game, but it's also an individual game where when I go up to bat, it's me against this pitcher, and your teammates can't really help you out too much. It's just you against this pitcher, and um, – Who's gonna win? And so, just competing day in and day out, um, it was just—it was a constant challenge of um, trying to beat that pitcher. You know, and sometimes they get you, and sometimes uh, you get them. So it's great for me because um, you start going in these um, celebrity golf tournaments and other events like that, and you run into these pitchers, right? And you know you hit a home run off of them. So, and they know they hit a, that you hit a home run off of them. So when they see you. They shake your hand with respect, and they say, how you doing, Fred? Because <laughs> they know that I, that I got them. You did so many things well. You were six times top ten in the MVP race, 30 homers nine times, 100 ribbies eight times. What, what made you as good as you were, and what did you like most about what you did in your career? Uh, I worked. I worked hard at my game, but I was, uh, I was consistent. Um, I set goals for myself uh, every year and I was able to uh, go out and do it. And, and what's tough is that um, once you set a certain standard, now they expect it out of you all the time. And so constantly, year in and year out, I had to keep hitting 30 homers or so forth because if not, um, the media gonna be all over you. So it was that constant challenge and battle. And, and I laugh with uh, some of my ex-teammates all the time because you see, if they don't expect anything out of you, you see players who play a lot more loosey-goosey because, hey, you know, they don't expect nothing out of me. I can go play. But for myself, every night I had to be ready to play because I had to hit 30 homers and try to drive in, uh, you know, 100 runs. But it was a challenge, and I enjoyed that challenge. And um, then they woke me up one day and said, it's over. But for the most part, um, for me, just growing up in Tampa, getting cut from my high school team and uh, being able to still um, compete, you know, I could have quit. You know, once I got cut, I could have just called it a day, but I said no. You know, um, I went back to my um, um, Little League program, West Tampa Little League. I went back there and um, finished my season out there and tried out for the team again next year and uh, made the team. But it's funny because they give the coach a hard time now. They're like, oh, dude, you cut Fred McGriff. You, know? you were so valuable to so many clubs with six different teams. You decided which hat you want to wear or – uh, not yet, not yet. We're going to uh, have our discussions and so forth with uh, Jane and Josh uh, with the Hall of Fame um, and Hall of Fame committee and so forth, and we'll, we'll make that decision. And this is obviously a family, you know, award too. What has your family thought of all this, and what has it meant to them? Uh, it's just awesome. They, um, you know, my kids, they say, you know, Dad, you did well, you know. No, it's more or less you know, icing on the cake. 
for me to, um, like I said, play one day in the big leagues, but let alone um, 19 years uh, is, is good stuff. So this is, you know, this, is, this is a beautiful thing. Now I can relax. Relax, enjoy it, enjoy the next several months, and congratulations on the much-deserved honor of getting to be a member of the Baseball Hall of Fame. Thank you. That's now Hall of Famer Fred McGriff has such a nice sound to it. Coming up, we will recap uh, the winter meetings with Dave and Andy and look ahead as well. We continue in just a moment. Thanks for being with us on 95.3 WDAE and AM620. A reminder to become a Rays Insider today. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Today, you'll be the first to receive deals on tickets, updates on the team, exclusive information, and more. Sign up at raisebaseball.com slash newsletter. Final segment of our This Week in Rays Baseball Winter Meetings Edition. I am in San Diego as the winter meetings have wrapped up and join now from Tampa Bay by Dave Wilson and Andy Freed. How are you guys? Very good. Doing, doing really good. Thanks for having us, Neil. Of course. It has been a very active few days. Uh, what has stood out to you as you guys have watched from afar? Well, I'm interested in the fact that Verlander goes to the Mets at his age uh, with that incredibly high amount of money. It seemed like the Mets needed an answer after losing uh, Jacob DeGraw to the Rangers. So uh, that'll be interesting to see how he holds up. He certainly held up very well. I'm not surprised at all, David. I'm sure you'd agree with that judge uh, reportedly stays with the Yankees because uh, as a, a wise person once told us in New York, a member of the Yankees, when the Yankees really want somebody and it comes down to money, they're going to be able to outfit everybody else. So that's what happens. So that, to me, is the big no surprise, the big yawner of the winter meetings. Uh, yeah, but again, I think there's a little bit of surprise from what we're hearing. Some of the reports, Neil, and you could probably back them up because you're mm -hmm. out there, is that there were a couple of teams that did offer more money to Aaron Judge. So we gave a bit of a hometown discount, which uh, I'm not sure a lot of people were. Uh, maybe there were some people expecting. I mean, he's comfortable out there, even though he did get booed toward uh, – the end of the postseason, despite a 62 home run regular season. So uh, I think there was some more money on the table in other places, but the Yankees supposedly stepped up from some of the reports I've read and added another year and another cool $40 million. So what's another $40 million among friends? I don't think there's going to be any tag days for Aaron Judge anytime soon. But the, the, the again, it befuddles me. It, it, it I'm, I'm, I've always said I'm not smart enough to be uh, anything more than uh, a broadcaster is that Every year, especially here over the last several years, guys, we hear more and more about how this is a young person's game, about how this is a game now where with the speed and the power that it's about the 25 and the 26-year-olds, and yet the 28, 29, and 30-year-olds are getting 9, 10, 11-year contracts that are going to be making 30, $40 million a year when they're 40, 41 years old. You just wonder, uh, again, uh, where's the sense in that? But I guess you got to spend a lot of money to get some of these guys to come uh, to your team, and that's what some of these teams did. Philadelphia is spending a boatload of money. The Cubs finally showing up a little bit, and Cody Bellinger, and then the uh, report earlier this morning that Jamison Tyone uh, signed with the Cubs as well. So uh, the big boys, uh, they're doing what they should do, Neil. They're spending money, and uh, we're kind of waiting to see how all these cards kind of uh, fall into place, and then I would imagine that's when Eric Neander and Peter Bendix really start to get to work. 
Yeah, they struck early, and then they're probably going to struck late. And when I look at some of the starting pitching agreements, like Tywan Walker, Tywan Walker, four years, seventy-one million dollars with uh, the Phillies, and uh, you mentioned Tyone, four years, sixty-eight million dollars with the Cubs, three and forty is almost starting to feel like a bargain the way uh, the market is pushed. <laughs> hey, it's not my money. It's uh, you know there, but there is a lot of money being thrown around and. Uh... You know, you're not even looking for guys to give you 200 innings anymore. I think you're looking for guys that can get you somewhere around 150 innings, and that's the kind of money that they are throwing around for guys that they're hoping to get somewhere between 135 and 160 innings pitched. But, uh, you know, again, uh, we'll see how this all plays out. I'm kind of uh, – I'm not surprised that Aaron Judge uh, reportedly is going to stay with the New York Yankees. Uh, I think that was going to be the big piece. And, uh, you know, now we're just kind of waiting to see maybe what a Carlos Rodon ends up doing. Uh, he was probably one of the bigger pieces now also that's still unsigned as of when we did this, uh, uh, you know, a, a few hours ago prior to it airing. But, uh, you know, again, uh, it's just it's, it's kind of humorous to see the amount of money being thrown around when, uh, you know, again, uh, we're just a, a less than a year removed away from a, a lockout and a strike or whatever you want to call it. A work stoppage, I guess, would be the better way to put it where, you know, again, uh, they were saying that they were having some financial difficulties and didn't want to spend a lot of money doing this and that. Uh, even Scott Boris has to be smiling somewhere right now. Yeah, so what was that work stoppage all about now anyway? But uh, <laughs> uh, that being said, too, and there are the Rays. Uh, Rays waiting for people to get healthy. Hopefully the people like Brandon Lau can be healthy again and Wander can be healthy again. Uh, I, I think heading in, and I don't want to jump ahead of you, Neil, but you know, the Rays do raise things, and they seem to be able to be competitive, uh, having made the playoffs four straight years. I like the fact that they added pitching with Zach Eflin because uh, th this team is never built to win 9-7. to seven. They're, they're built to win games, actually, the way they played against Cleveland in the postseason. A one nothing 2-1, to one, but uh, they lost both of them. Uh, I think the Rays need to obviously get a little more offense, but to me, the more I think about last season, I really would like to see defensive upgrades on the right side of the infield, in particular at first base. That's why a guy like Brandon Belt, to me, seems like an interesting guy, a guy that's a really good fielder and could give you some pop from the left side. We'll see what happens there. But uh, I don't know about you, Dave. I just think that it's going to be hard for this team to win without tightening up the defense, tightening up the base running. Those may not be the big flashy things that bring $100 million players, but I think that those things are the keys to getting the Rays back to win the division. No, no, no question about it. And I think uh, we, we, we belabored that point a number of times during the, uh, the regular season. I know that uh, we've had some discussions with people in and around the Rays who thought that our defense was actually pretty darn good at times, uh, that their, their numbers uh, stated that our defense was among the best in the league. But I think, you know, again, you get into that conversation of what the numbers say and what the eyeball test was saying. Mm -hmm. And the eyeballs were telling me that we weren't turning as many of those plays in the outs that we've done in the past. And uh, I think first base is an area for major upgrade defensively because we know what a good first baseman can do to the rest of your infield. I mean, everybody would come up to us and say, I thought everybody says that uh, Taylor Walsh is this big, uh, great defensive uh, shortstop and he had seven or eight errors. Well, then our first sentence back to them would be, well, five or six of them were because we had a first baseman who couldn't make an easy pick on a throw or couldn't have saved them on an error. So, you know, we're looking at all that stuff with, uh, again, a, a defensive upgrade. And then I think now with the bigger bases and some of the other things that are coming to play, maybe our athleticism will shine through 
a little more in 2023. But, uh, you know, we're not going to win too many games negative one to nothing. We've got to improve this offense, and I think that's going to be one of the big keys. Yes, there will be some guys a year older. There will be some guys hopefully a year better. I was looking at some OPSs today, and uh, th there's room for improvement on a lot of guys who had 550 OPSs uh, last year. So there's definitely room for improvement for those guys. But uh, like we've always said every year at this particular show, and Eric, we trust, and Peter, we trust. Uh, our front office has done a lot to earn our trust here over the last uh, several years. And the Rays are not a team that's going to win the offseason. I, I mean, you had mentioned, you know, Aaron Judge, 9 and 360 reportedly to the Yankees. The Padres uh, reportedly offered 10 and 400 million. Uh, San Diego is known for making the big splash here during the winter meetings. The Rays do not make the sexy move, but they try and make the moves that are going to make them better. I'm curious from your standpoint about the Yankees. They've lost Jamison Tyone. They traded Jordan Montgomery. Um, Harrison Bader played great in the playoffs, but we know he has had an injury-prone history. And same with Judge and Santon, aside from last year for Judge. What is their biggest need? Are they still the favorite to win this division as we sit here on December the 7th? I think only because of they're the incumbent winning team. I don't think they'd, in my mind, be necessarily the favorite. I thought after their 52-18 and 18 start, that they were pretty much an average team uh, the rest of the way, in part because of injuries. Their bullpen got ravaged by injuries and uh, numerous other key players. But, you know, Judge stayed healthy the whole year. They were just an okay team. They were a beatable team and a really good team like the Astros. That sweep did not surprise me at all. I, I thought that Cleveland would have been better competition for the Astros uh, than the Yankees were. But, you know, we saw them an awful lot down the stretch. If they had lost Judge, I mean, to me, they were almost in a position, uh, Dave, where they had to bring him back. What else do they really have uh, outside of that? Uh, uh, so I, I don't think that uh, necessarily they're going to be the favorite because I think the Rays will make some moves and, and various other teams will. I mean, I would think that the Blue Jays should be better. I don't think the Orioles are going to win divisions, but they're more competitive. And I still, here we are in December, still trying to figure out what in the world the Red Sox are doing. But um, bottom line, the Rays will be right there competitively. I think just like Dave said, the Rays sit back and wait for the, the other moves to happen, some of the big shoes to drop, and they'll swoop in and do uh, raise-type things. But I don't think there really is a favorite. Uh, maybe Yankees only because they're the incumbent. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like asking uh, uh, somebody to test a dish, and you haven't put all the ingredients into the pot yet, and uh, you're not even close to even put it in the oven. I, I think it's hard for me to sit here and say, uh, you know, who's going to win what division and how they're going to do this because we're only on December the 7th. Uh, you know, again, the Rays are, are, are an incomplete uh, property right now. I think every team's an incomplete property. But I agree with you, Neil. I mean, the Rays usually don't win the uh, the offseason. And the last time I checked, I have uh, haven't gone to any, many parades uh, for those uh, December and January championships either. Uh, you know, I, I, unless they have a boat parade in December and January, and I've just missed it. But uh, I, I, I get nervous when the Rays start acting like, the big market teams. Uh, when we start to think that we have to uh, do what those teams do, you know, seven, eight, ten-year contracts for two, three, four hundred million dollars. And I know we've only done it, uh, you know, the one time with Wander, and we we spent some money early on uh, with Evan. But we were fortunate that we were able to move Evan to, you know, again keep us some, uh, you know, financial flexibility after he moved on to the San Francisco Giants. Uh, I'm I'm of the ilk right now where I think I've, I've noticed over these last. Uh, 17, 18 years of doing this, especially now the last 10 years with Eric Neander and company more in charge, is that when I agree with a move they make, uh, I get nervous because uh, then they're starting to think like I am. And I don't want them to do that. I want them to think uh, like the, the guys who put together 
uh, for back-to-back trips to the postseason. So I, I'm just a, I'm an interested observer right now uh, with uh, obviously uh, people stopping me all the time when I'm out walking Bella. You know, what are the Rays going to do? What are you hearing? What are you hearing? Uh, I hear what you guys hear. That's what I tell the fans all the time. I, I follow Twitter. I follow Neil. I follow Topper. And, uh, you know, I, I don't call Eric Neander and Peter Bendix to find out what's their plan for uh, December 7th, 8th, and 9th. Uh, I wait to see how things fall into place. And like you were saying, Andy, uh, Zach Eflin's a, a, an interesting pickup for the Rays. He's going to elongate the starting staff. Uh, he's going to give us some more innings. He might be one of the guys out there that you can almost pencil in 130 uh, because while he's had some knee injuries here over the last uh, – and issues over the last few years, for the most part, his arm has been in pretty good shape. So – you know, he's going to be a bulk guy for the Rays, hopefully give us some innings. And what he did in the postseason, maybe a tweak here and a tweak there under Kyle Snyder and our uh, R&D department. And, uh, you know, who knows what he can do. But uh, I like that pickup. And, I, and, and like I said, I think there's going to be a couple other ones that uh, I don't say necessarily fall into our lap. But, uh, you know, we, 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 need to, we need to be quiet. I've said this before. Because I think agents start to find out, you know, who our guys are interested in. And then they start whispering it to everybody else, saying, the Rays mm-hmm. are interested in my guy. The Rays are interested in my guy. And and I think other teams then can kind of swoop in. But uh, I'm really looking forward. You know, we, we do a lot of the groundwork, as, as you guys both know, uh, at this time during the winter meetings. And then the, the moves usually come within a week or two weeks after it's over. Yep, and and the we got a couple minutes to go here. The the two thi- the, the the thing that does concern me a little bit about the marketplace right now is more the bottom of the market. The Cody Bellingers of the world, I was kind of surprised at what he's done the last couple of years. He got seventeen and a half million dollars, and you mentioned Brandon Belt or Michael Brantley. I'm kind of concerned or, or, or interested to see where those the market for the the left-handed hitters at the back end of the you know of the market go. And that's where we're waiting. <laughs> and that's, you know, and I, and I think that's where the Rays have to be creative. I mean, uh, you know, the Rays have been pretty darn good over these last few years, mostly on the pitching side, but there have been a few offensive players, and C.J. Crone just kind of pops to mind uh, pretty quickly as a guy that came to Tampa Bay, did a couple of things, tweaked a few things, and now next thing you know, went and had some uh, pretty good years after he left the Rays and made a few more bucks. So, uh, you know, I, I, there might be a guy like a Brantley that could uh, come back and, and look to, you know, like we said before, where is there a better place in baseball to try to showcase your wares than with the Tampa Bay Rays? Because you get to play a boatload of games against the New York Yankees, a boatload of games against the Boston Red Sox, and both major media markets. And if you do well against either one of those teams, you're going to really, really improve your, your, your lot for the coming season. So we've seen some of our guys do that in the past, and uh, maybe there's a guy or two that's going to be in that uh, mix uh, come, uh, you know, again, the next couple of weeks that will maybe not be able to make the, the money that they were looking for, but the Rays get creative, figure out a couple of ways with incentives that they can make their money, and then they're a member of the Tampa Bay Rays. I always think, too, that I'm always surprised when the Rays really do big free agent or even medium free agent signings. For the Rays, a lot of their, their currency comes from the talent that they have. Uh, so a lot of times trading a guy, and, and it's hard sometimes for fans if you're attached to a guy, but even from the minor league system, what's the point of having a great minor league system if you can't protect, I mean, you can't protect everybody. So at some point, you got to use some of those guys as currency to get another one of those jigsaw pieces to to fall into place. So I usually expect it to be trades, less so free agency. But, you know, we're not quite there yet, but we're getting close to seeing uh, what that's going to look like. Well, we'll be watching closely. Guys, enjoy the holidays, and we'll certainly chat with you soon. Yeah, you too. Looking forward to it, Neil. Same to you.
All right. Hey, a reminder, your race 2023 single game tickets are on sale now. Catch the Dodgers, Yankees, Phils, and more at Tropicana Field. Purchase tickets at racebaseball.com slash tickets. Thanks very much to Dave and Andy. Thanks to all of our guests, Eric Neander, Kevin Cash, as well as uh, Fred McGriff. And thanks to Becca and uh, also Chris for their help with the show as well. Thank you for listening. We'll chat with you soon. This has been our winter meeting show of this week in Rays Baseball at 95.3 WDAE and AM 620. Thank you for joining us for this week in Rays Baseball, Winter Meetings Edition. Grounds one into the hole of short, diving wander, pops up, a long throw to first is in plenty of time for the out. He took a hit away from Mancini, and that's one goal. Follow every move with us on Twitter at Rays Radio. Swing and a ground ball at short. Wander has it, goes to the bag out. Throws the first double play. It's a double play. And Jason Adams comes in with a bases loaded, nobody out situation, and keeps it a scoreless game. Pitchers and catchers will report, and opening day will be here before you know it. For ticket information, visit RaysBaseball.com.